Sweet. Got my notes here. What have you been up to today? Not much. Uh, just uh, researching some stuff for this uh, novel I'm writing. That's uh -huh. mainly what I've been doing. Um, other than this, like, secret band that I'm in, and then writing some, like, loss prevention, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, that's something I've been doing, like, nice. once every couple weeks. I, I think, I don't remember who, but somebody else I was talking to recently told me that they, like, just finally got on, like, Dungeons and Dragons and have been doing that during the lockdowns. Who was it? I I'm, I'm, I don't I don't remember who I was talking to. If 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 it comes to me, I will tell you. Is, is um, that something you were doing before, or is that is that new for you also? It was definitely before the pandemic, mm. and, or no, after the pandemic. Uh, yeah, it's been like the past couple months. I'm a teeter totter. I'm a I'm a halfling that used to be a dwarf, and. Uh, after I got turned into a halfling, people thought my name that I changed it to, which is Teeter Totter, they thought that was too much like a gnome's name. So I got exiled from that. I moved to this place called Ozium where I met my whole crew. Amazing. Uh, no, this is great. I think you'll, you'll be the first to uh, be smoking a cig on the podcast. <laughs> Hell doesn't, yeah. that doesn't happen when we're at my apartment and it's and a couple times it, it has just been blunts but uh you know i i welcome it it's a it's a fun energy I'm, I'm i'm all about it uh but yeah i guess i'll get okay. us rolling uh my name is aaron rhodes and you're listening to the shellcock podcast we're sponsored by the vinyl underground at seventh heaven offering new and used vinyl at 76 intrused in kansas city missouri this week on the show, we have Ignatius Audley. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty swell. Amazing. So, we've known each other, I think, I'm trying to guess. because About like, 10 years. Coming up on a decade, because I think we met either or like 7th or 8th grade year of like yeah. you know, like late middle early high school definitely like before maybe right before high school yeah definitely met you be before high school because our, uh, like uh, friend groups kind of merged <laughs> yeah i definitely witnessed that happen too it was the big old merging beautiful good old refuge in olathe yes good time. <laughs> oh yeah because wait did I, f I forget did you because I know I was gonna I was gonna mention it. Um, you did play in Hattrick, of course, with Bennett, mm -hmm. and yeah. but you were were you also in Against the Generation? Nope. No. Okay, that was just Bennett's thing. I think, uh, I think Bennett wanted to get away from me somehow, <laughs> get a little bit disattached, prove that he can do his own thing. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't matter, but yeah, it was what it was. Yeah, you, you guys are you guys are still rocking together. Yeah, every every once in a while, I've been having trouble getting a hold of the dude, but you know he's still like my best bud ever. Yeah, forever. Uh, so I guess to start with Patrick, I guess that was your first band in mm -hmm. middle school. Like, even was was that even like elementary school? Like, hell, it was like an idea in like fourth grade. And then it really came to fruition in like fifth grade. Played our first show kind of like fifth grade. We were like all 11, impressed the shit out of some people. <laughs> they're like, they're playing rock music. It, it was really funny. Yeah. But uh, then, yeah, we did that for like three or four years and learned a lot, got really good. And I can't say I got twice as good since the end of that band, honestly. <laughs> seriously yeah um yeah you, you guys were the, the shawnee mission south uh area child rock stars um oh dude yeah <laughs> being in the paper just absolutely oh, wait, were you on like the, the shawnee mission post or something it was in the casey star it was oh, yeah, star. fucking weird 
testing myself on the front of that like <laughs> at 11 years old I don't know, yeah. Dude, the, the cloud will fuck you up, dude. <laughs> you, you yeah, make, it's hard to just look down at all these uh, peasants not being in the newspaper when they're 11 <laughs> years old, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, at, at that point, I think, because that, that, that band was very, like, you guys were all into, like, classic rock, I think, at that point, right? Kind of just, like, Led Zeppelin type shit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because... So I'm guessing like your all of your parents had a little bit to do with that. Um, the email threads, dude. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. What's that about? Like this and that. Whoever's leader of the band. Hell, I probably shouldn't be disclosing this information. <laughs> One of our parents is probably gonna see this someday and be like, "Wow, they really knew the whole time." Uh, I saw a few. I saw a few of these arguments between parents. That, I hope they can all laugh about it now, but that was really funny. Really, they they like micromanaging the band or something like that, or for sure. Yeah. And there's one time when we were trying to like kick this dude out. His mom comes downstairs to the basement. She's like, "That doesn't happen yet. You can't do that. You're too young for that." There's like, uh, none of us said shit. It was really funny. And fit. he did end up getting kicked out like, at the lunch table. Ooh. And yeah, that's, weird. That's where all the, the most work. contentious things seem to happen, either at, at lunch or uh, recess, I'm sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it, fit, like fit. He didn't even sit at the table after that for a little while. <laughs> the friendship dynamic kind of changed. Fit, fifth grade band drama. Rough, rough shit. But Dude, it was real. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what what were your, like, first favorite bands? And maybe even, like, because, yeah, you've been playing drums since you were a kid. Like, who are all, like, your first, like, favorite drummers and everything like that? God, my first favorite drummer was definitely Matt Sorum from uh, Guns N' Roses. Mm. Wasn't the first drummer. He was the second drummer. First drummer had a real, just ugly heroin problem. He wasn't very good at the drums in the first place, and then he got replaced. They called up the band The Cult, and they're like, "You have a really good drummer. He's just super traditional or whatever, and he'll play the same fill every measure, no matter the fuck what, but it'll make it sound good somehow." And he just pounded the drums, and he could play some really good fills for like fifteen minutes impressive shit 50,000 people and I'm um, guessing this is the guy who played on Appetite that was uh Steven Adler Matt Storm oh. played on um both the Use Your Illusion albums and Spaghetti Incident okay and then after that everyone bailed on Axel yeah who, and then who played on Chinese Democracy I'm sure you know this oh, man. <laughs> dude there were like four or five drummers on that record because Dude, yeah, Axel was the pickiest guy in the world, but he kept all the recordings from these various drummers in that compilation of tracks and ended up making F uh, Chinese Democracy. They went through like a bunch of producers, a bunch of guitarists, like, you know, Buckethead and Kurt Bumblefoot or some shit. Uh -huh. but, but Slash all these plays days. on at least some of it, right? Yeah, it's like weird how that went kind of took a lot of narcissism mm -hmm. to keep the name Guns N' Roses for that long but you know they were still my favorite band I loved Chinese Democracy <laughs> still do I, I, I definitely remember at least like a few bangers off that one I'm sure like there were whatever like singles came out ahead of it or maybe like just the first few songs on the album but there, there's that for one. the time it, it took yeah like there was 14 a, years Shackler's yeah, Revenge, was, is that one of the songs? Was. And, was. It's, was, it's was. not a bad song either. Yeah, definitely not it, my favorite. Is that the one that's like, don't, 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 don't. Then it starts like, what are the other bands? My mom would hear that and she'd be like, what the fuck? Like, complete 
rejection of that vein of Guns N' Roses. I, I might need to throw that on and get hyped for the, the Chiefs game tonight. That might be what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, dude. That'd be great. Some, some freaking oh, some tailgate tunes, dude. That, yeah, that and hey, Rock dude. and Roll Part 2. Good eats for then, too. Yeah. Yeah, have you, have you have you been have you been watching all the games this season? Dude, yeah. It's been really fun. It's been great. To see like uh I mean we're just kicking ass. We are. Last week was insane. Beating Baltimore when like literally everyone thought we were gonna lose. Yeah, we, and no, and they, they looked bored doing it, which was very impressive. It was really cool to watch. It it made for a really good time. And I think tonight would have been closer, I think, probably if, if Cam was in. But we'll have to see what that looks like. I know the Patriots are still, like, fairly solid. Yeah. So. They have Cam Newton, right? Well, no, he, he Cam Newton has COVID. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, he's, he's out for, like, two oh my weeks. God. So that's the Newton. Oh, my God. I just saw Newton on, on the headline. What the fuck is that? When I see the name, when I want to see Cam – uh-huh. It clears it up for me. <laughs> million Newtons. There's one Cam Newton. Um, okay, no, and this is another thing that I think – I'm pretty sure I didn't touch on this at all when I did the podcast with Bennett a couple years ago. But you guys both had kind of a, at least a short-lived, like, Warp Tour metalcore phase in like high school is that right oh yeah do you remember the name do you remember the name for that band were you you were were playing in a in a metalcore band oh yeah we did for a little while it was called as the silence surrounds us shit okay that sounds familiar i'm sure i saw that like on facebook at some point but did, did you guys ever play a show with that band or record anything no yeah, there was there was no group of people that would have thought we were like any good or anything, and we had like one song that we'd play over and over again. And my parents just found out that I was into heavy music, uh-huh. and they're like, oh, "This is a surprise! You scream, <laughs> you make noise now." And I was like, "Y'all bought me a double bass though. I don't know what you thought I was gonna do with that." Oh, I was not terrible at it mm. by that point. Yeah, maybe, maybe you can get old. in on the, the Metalcore revival and get that bag this year. Oh, Jesus Christ. It'd be so easy. <laughs> they really actually had that. Oh, God. Wouldn't even do it. I want to incorporate double bass again someday, mm-hmm. somehow. Probably wouldn't be able to apply it in a band that's forming anytime soon. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere down the line, it's I'm just good at it, and it's really fun to play. Because yeah. I'm do a lot. I'm pretty sure I remember you and Bennett maybe like trying to sell me on like I set my friends on fire or Attack Attack or something like that. Were were those a couple of like oh, the bands you guys were big into? I was never personally into Attack Attack. I could see a couple people we were friends with mm. uh, trying to promote that. Just trash the whole time, in my opinion. I set my friends on fire. So, even weirder. Like, a more weird band. And yet, I liked them more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like they might have... Like, I don't know their music, really, at all. But it seemed like they were a little more creative than a lot of the bands they oh. toured with. Yeah, like... And I guess is they were on Smosh videos. And I guess that, that kind of social context kind of grabbed me a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved the sex education song. It was really funny. And uh, I don't know if they had, they had some sort of style. They, they added up in the end. So, I mean, all right. I can't really say they were good. Mm. In no, the it's end. funny. I, oh, sorry. No, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I definitely, like, remember, like, it, within the last, like, week or two, 
I like remembered that Smosh existed for the first time in many years. And I can't say I watched a whole video when I like went to the channel, but I was like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember this uh, era of YouTube kind of. It's very commercialized now. Yeah. It's very weird what they've done to it. Anthony's gone. Anthony had to quit because he like saw that happening. Hmm. Oh, yeah, thing you... that should evolve. No, yeah, the, the, the evolution of YouTube over the last decade has been a very strange, crazy thing to watch. And I guess it makes sense, like, after they got bought by Google, like, you could kind of assume that it was going to go in a more commercial, strict oh, yeah. direction. But just seeing like, With all those people ways, getting demonetized and stuff because of that, I could absolutely see why you would take a route where you'd make I mean just as much money as you were before at least you know it's like that would be hard to get used to just making less money when you're totally set before absolutely understand mm. but uh kind of glad Anthony did the thing where he's just like no that's really weird uh, I don't buy that do do we know what he's up to at this point no idea <laughs> I didn't even bother to check it out honestly it's too bad I, I just know about Smosh. Okay, because you you mentioned one of a couple important um, Johnson County all ages institutions being the Refuge. Um, oh yeah. Because wait, I'm because I'm sure you you caught like at least a, a few shows there if if you weren't playing there. You you didn't play any shows there, did you? I played, I played at the Refuge a few times. With with, with Hattrick or. The amusement. The amusement. Okay, because I was going to bring up the amusement. I definitely didn't see the amusement at the refuge, but I did see the amusement. I think the one show I saw was at Yahweh Underground. Oh, yeah, that was like the first show where Stephanie was the singer. Yes. That was pretty cool. That was fun. Stephanie was the shit. Can't wait to see them again. Yeah, very, very talented singer, bassist. Straight up, good times. Yeah. Honestly, the most memorable from that band, mm. which, which ended up lasting like too long. Honestly, mm. like indie all being like a sophomore in high school, it's it just lost its luster, you know. <laughs> you know because because you, you guys did release like one single. I think it was. Enjoyable. Yeah, we didn't even release like an ep or a demo or anything and we totally could have but we were so hell-bent on the quality of our first recordings of songs that makes yeah. sense that, that is where like a lot of young bands kind of get caught up they like make like they make the facebook page right away and then they like decide yeah. that they need like a thousand dollar recording and like all that kind of shit and it's usually merch. Yeah, and yeah, like buying the t-shirt before the band has released any music. It's like and the give me the tunes first and then then work from there. Yeah. God damn. Just <laughs> lonely. Hey, I can't take it. I, uh, you, I just you, wouldn't you be able to do it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and then I mean, I'm okay. glad those mistakes were made when I was like that young, not when I was trying to like put out like really cool shit. Yeah. No, because then at, after that point, I think was the first band after that you did Kilki Cap? Because that was like late mm-hmm. high school, right? It was like uh, about right after or right before I graduated because Bennett graduated in like April mm-hmm. of 2015. And he came back with these recordings. He was like, I have this band Kilky Cat that I want to change into something like more hardcore punk and less like crush rock. I was like, fuck yeah, then that sounds cool. Um, would be down to play some, some hardcore shows, get involved with that. Cause there's like no other shows to play that interest me at all. Mm. And we started Kilky Cat. We started this math rock band, Pat Marsh for the fuck of it. We were never playing on, I'm playing any shows with that. That would have been fun, though. Didn't do anything with that other band, though. Yeah, Kilky Kid 
but only a few months later we were like playing shows and establish, establishing ourselves living in the city finally and trashing our first place <laughs> no, the 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 bong house correct oh yeah because okay the i'm trying to, what what street was that on because i do end up driving by that every once in a while just to like like as a shortcut to get like to truce or whatever but i'm trying to remember because it's it's like in the 30s is it on like i'm trying it was to like a 41st or 43rd in gillum road was on, was on gillum you'd like okay. head east right after you hit uh like 43rd or 41st mm-hmm. and then it's just this kind of, it's just this long building yeah it's just like a one-story like three or four apartment building it's like a quadplex or something yeah. that was a very that, weird that was place. A funny time <laughs> i thought it was torn down uh um, the pl- the unit we used to live in looks hollowed out it looks very blank on the inside mm-hmm. so i'm glad we did a number on it like that <laughs> because gene really sucked gene god, and god he bless him did not own that property <laughs> and um Oh, because what was I going to say? Man, I'm blanking. No, yeah, because, okay, so you were, as as we discussed, you were interested in, like, classic rock and metal and then, like, kind of indie rock and then Mm -hmm. in, like, this metalcore and stuff. So what, like, because you did eventually join Kilky Cat and start doing all these bands with Bennett. What, What was the, like, do you remember like the first few like DIY punk shows you went to and like when you find like when it finally clicked for you? Cause like, I feel like um, me and like some other kind of people in the friend group got interested in it a little earlier than you did. So I, I was wondering like, like when, when it clicked for you. Yeah. It straight just took me a little bit way too long. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, I think it was just me and my the two friends that I had that I was really tight with. They did not like it. And they did not like the lo-fi recordings at all. It sounds like phone recorded it or something. And like, look at me. I'm, I'm recording this on a phone. Sounds just fine. Um, I record... My practice is on phones all the time. Doesn't mean I don't get the idea of what I just did on the recording. Yep. You know, it, that's really where people kind of miss the point. When you're listening to a demo, you're just trying to get the point of what's going on. And if it's not all there, that's their, their fault, of course. But if it's good, then shit, it shouldn't matter. Like, not everything's got to be some like a perfectly served up and piece of pie and hardcore punk's definitely not some piece of pie it's more like nails or a pie made out of nails or something with no bread something like that yeah so do do you was there like a certain band or a show you saw you think that like finally made you kind of come around or like just at least a an early favorite of when like kind of high school era catching diy shows it was straight this one show at the art closet where this dude, he just started talking after this set. And I don't remember what they sounded like at fucking all. I can imagine they're pretty good. Um, he said, uh, I have no idea what punk is. Just come out and know that you're different than other people or something know that you're not the norm and that's what makes punks that's what makes punk punk or something and there's something about what he said really stuck with me uh there's a million other reasons i think that i should stick with it now of course but mm-hmm. yeah so it was kind of the, sound in those words the ethos and the kind of community like political aspect of it that kind of drew you in initially God, I was really like, I like I talked politics 
even from like the beginning of knowing you and stuff, God damn, I was not in any way like a principled political person. And I didn't, I did not know that, uh, like I knew that punk was like about anarchy and stuff, but I did not see that element at our shows until after Trump. Uh, that may be just me. Maybe there are radical leftists there before, but I don't know. Uh, it's my uh, limited perspective on it because I was only in the thing a year mm. before all that. Yeah, you. you but you, you're saying you kind of felt like a, like a coalescing and like a, a kind of like a real sense of community, at, like post post Trump. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it may have taken a second just because of a the specific conditions of Kansas City at the time, you know, everyone that was playing the usual shows had left, you know, there weren't us. And like that, totally not their fault. Like, you know, if you want to move, absolutely. You totally did your time, put in the effort, did the literal everything. And uh, we didn't, we dropped the ball. Um, but I mean, shit, didn't mean it didn't come back at least in a few months and yes with a vengeance too with a political kind of angle uh, there i noticed maybe it's just because i got into studying it a lot more anarchists around mm -hmm. and that made me feel a lot more at home especially after uh well decidedly not going to shows for a few months and kind of ditching for being in love jail and in college and stuff yeah, going back to that element of it was definitely a keeper and made it a keeper. Yeah, because, like, I think there's definitely, if anything, there was, like, a noticeable uptick in, like, uh, benefit shows and, like, fundraiser shows and stuff, like, post-Trump, because, like, it is be like, I feel like, I mean, I'm sure, like, maybe in other, like, niches in Kansas City and stuff, we're, we're doing that kind of stuff, like, pre-2016 but like I don't know if I remember like going to like a no class or a dirty work show that was like a benefit show or something for anything other than like a tour kickoff or something like that or a record release yeah we're and that's not to like denigrate any bands of no, previous yeah. era but it's, there there does seem to be just like wasn't... more of a focus on that now there wasn't a sense of urgency, and I understand that. There no, wasn't crazy extravagant shit going on every day, just rocking literally everyone's boats and shit, and or at least it didn't seem like it. No, it yeah, probably the, was. The, the Obama era was, I think, largely apolitical for a lot of people. Yeah, it it made people at least go on pause for a while. Yeah, as that stuff. Yeah, because I, I follow, like, a decent number of people, like, on Twitter and Instagram and shit that, like, were going to shows in the, like, in the aughts, in the, in the like, early 2000s and stuff. And they they always kind of allude to, a, like, a, like, the, well, the big thing then, I think, was kind of the anti-war, like, anti, like, Iraq and Afghanistan, like, those wars and shit. Like, that was, like, the big anarchist, like, uh, kind of leftist cause at that point, and I, I, I don't know it. if there were being like I don't know if there were like a ton of benefit shows or anything like that at that point, but that was kind of the political angle for a long time. And then even though we're still engaged in those conflicts, there's less yeah. anti-war focus right now. And it, it, like in a sense, I think it's kind of like maybe a little reactionary just because of like how ugly Trump's mannerisms are. But yeah, yeah there there's like a, a, a refocus, I think, on political shit. Oh yeah, absolutely. And there probably should have been the whole time. Yeah. And, you know. <sighs> I I hope um I hope they're the same way about Clinton. Because uh like there was they had the Gulf War with Clinton, or was that um, 
HW, I'm not certain. I guess either way, we still had some high class hegemony going on as far as like neo colonialism. Mm. Classic there. Um, so I think what another thing I wanted to ask you was once you're kind of like listening to like punk and hardcore records and stuff for a minute, um, and you're starting these bands, like you, you eventually end up in, uh, Columbine Kids, the Drippies, Narc Parade, and that's all like kind of the compound era that compound with a K that house that a bunch of you guys were living on at on the 39th street, which is definitely funny also to drive by remembering that gag played there and the basement was like packed with a hundred (laughs) people. That, that was the most fucking insane show. That was a good one. The floor, you couldn't walk. Yeah. Much less slam. And people got away with slamming. The, The guy from combat knife. I don't know if you remember this, but, he like just this. yeah no i think he yeah punched out her light yeah it was so badass i think that was like the he one the one formal gig that happened at that house but it was mostly like practice and recording for all those bands oh yeah mm. oh yeah and then uh so much for that because uh no actually it amounted to a lot because they fucking all finished and then our landlord came and was like never again <laughs> or you're out you're evicted mm. you're like oh shit. <laughs> uh, I, I did want to ask you what like some of your favorite like punk and hardcore drummers or like records as far as drumming wise are since you kind of got into this scene it is very fucking narrow uh gotta say Davey from literally like all the motherfucking KC bands mm-hmm. seems like from like the early 2010s, mid 2010s, probably mm-hmm. mid 2002. Um, and then uh drummer for God straight up just that, that's my path. Can't say it's too open for development, but uh, I've learned a lot literally just from both of them. Mm-hmm. No, uh, and they, they both the have, they, they both have like a big kind of DB, bent um mm-hmm. and it's it's funny because like you've, you've played in like all these different diy punk bands but none of them have really yeah. hit db is, is yeah. that is that your dream at this point does that need to happen soon it is what is happening right now mm. oh. the, the secret band you, you you mentioned is that right mm-hmm. yeah yep uh, very very much that uh, ending all my fills on the threes uh, as much as possible. Uh, can't guarantee it every time. Wait. Okay, it's only in a few of the songs where I end up my fills on the three. But you know what? Maybe it's not my style. Nah, it's been really fun. Uh, it's been a learning process, even though it's like these, it's supposed to be the easiest thing. Maybe the first thing that you learn if you're a punk drummer, just mm. starting out on drums. But uh, it's it's sounding pretty fucking good. I, I can't wait to show everyone. Seriously. How, how, I can how finally f- calm down? Oh. You know, like, like that? Pretty how, how, how far along are things with that band? We're, we have enough for what, what should be a full length. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh it's gonna be a demo and a seven inch and we still got a couple songs to write but yeah we got like nine so far nice. and then we got a couple with loss prevention where it's like uh i'm actually doing db and a couple of songs where it's like uh it's like the classic guitar storming where it's like and but we land on the one same time mm-hmm. same stroke and everything so, uh, maybe it's cheating. Maybe it's not. It's fun. Hey, there's, there's and, the rules, uh, baby. People liked it last time when I was just kind of, I was cheating on some of those tracks in Shoot to Kill. Gotta say. How, how'd you Probably cheat? hear it here and there, but 
I'm going to go like, but it's like, you just hit the snare on the same one and two or whatever, and it doesn't really show like it should, or like it would with other people. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, just a little Easter egg with that. <laughs> yeah, go go back and re-listen to the, the loss prevention seven inch everyone and see 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 all the cheating. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did wanna talk loss prevention briefly, but um briefly going back to because I don't know, I saw the um well, when Bennett would post them all to Bandcamp, they were on this page called K Crew, K C R E W, like all mm-hmm. the Kill Combine, Narc Parade, uh, Drippy stuff would go on that page. And with Kill Cat ending last year, I because you that band's pretty much over, right? Oh yeah, it's over. Yeah. So like did you did you feel a certain way last year like seeing like the the last of those bands kind of come to a close cuz I, f- I feel like that was kind of its own distinct era in Kansas City DIY like kind of transitioning from like all of the people absolutely. that moved away and were doing bands before us into what it is at this point. I was straight up not not sad that's for sure this is such a clean break i needed something else in my life that was new because i didn't really see any sort of uh potential for continuing mm. like i don't know where killicky cat would have gone it, it would have just been influenced from a different decroitson album i think but uh you know, that that could just be my thoughts on it Hmm. either way yeah you got I, I think i was just uh ready to do something new more hardcore like also let's get the fuck on a label let's get put out by someone let's even possibly do a tour with a different band it, it was kind of like I, w- I was kind of afraid to start over and be like have everyone be like who the fuck's this band is the new band from kansas city always oh, like all the same people fuck. Hmm. they should just stick with something and and once they stick with the band, they should actually tour with them. You know, it's a learning process. It'll someday we'll tour one yeah. of these days. Yeah, because I, I was gonna mention like the uh, the loss prevention demo was well received, and um, I think kind of wow. it's funny. It's kind of kind of thanks a little, in, at least in part to the kind of YouTube community of like. Like, just, there's that handful of YouTube channels that every, like, DIY Absolutely. punk fan is subscribed to and kind of can find new shit through, which we can we can debate the uh, pros and cons of that kind of ecosystem. But I think, I, I feel like I've touched on that on another episode, so I won't go into it. But, yeah, the, the, de- the loss prevention. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I love that they have that stuff like ready to go. Like the fact that I'm on something that has 15,000 views, pretty cool. Like wouldn't have had it otherwise. Mm. Like straight up. 11 p.m., lots of power. But I mean, No Deal has been a huge vehicle for that record company too. Mm. Got to give it to them. And do, do you uh, feel any way about like the kind of I don't want to say impermanence of like the YouTube ecosystem, but like it's not so much focused. I feel like since YouTube became such a thing in punk and hardcore that like the download has become less prevalent. Like, yeah, like there's always a link to the band camp or whatever, but I feel like there's less music being downloaded than just stuff being played off YouTube. And I feel like just maybe maybe it's because I'm like kind of a journalist archivist type that I worry about those things. But d- do you think about any of that at all? It's definitely like dangerous on the sense where it's like you're just gonna make less money, even though it's like you're making shit money to begin with as yeah. like a local artist and stuff. But 
God, making money off of music was such a long shot anyway. Yeah. So I I don't ever feel too much about it. Mm. I, I'm just I'm just straight glad that I can just be put on wax and like show people look at this, and then open it and be like, look, it's actually uh, on a thing. Yeah, because yeah, okay, because that that makes sense because yeah, like using seeing seeing the the YouTube community as more of a, a launching off point to like getting your shit put on vinyl kind of makes sense because yeah, the the Lost Prevention Seven Inch mm-hmm. is the first. A vinyl record you've played on, right? Yeah. No, it's exciting. Groupies totally should have been the first. Talk about a, a while. A long time coming, really. Mm. But, you know, once again, it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was a first. Good first, too. Oh, yeah. It's a ripper. Yeah. Um, mostly, I've just been working on this book mm-hmm. that that has been taking up most of my free time despite having a bunch of new material for this secret band mm-hmm. and not fiction or it's not non-fiction this time it's not completely boring and it's like a dystopian novel sick no yeah because i was gonna kind of introduce this by because like a year or two ago you were um, doing YouTube videos, you had the channel E Bombs World. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, and you were kind of doing like leftist history and kind of just political, like commentary and stuff like that. So it's funny. Like we, I definitely remember like talking like politics and stuff like that with you, like at least briefly, like in high school and everything. But mm-hmm. I, I'm. I'm curious where you, like, at what point you decided you wanted to uh, play some part in, like, making videos and writing and stuff like that. Like, what made it feel important to you to do that? Well, after the election, I straight up was just like, you know, motherfucker, I'm going to read Karl Marx and then nothing anyone can do about it straight up it was like that and i was just i was at an impasse on politics and i figured i need like some new avenue because apparently believing this stuff ain't working uh something about it drew me to it um and then a couple of the people from the punk scene were just like no don't get into communism into anarcho-communism and so i was like an anarchist for a while Ended up not being, like, a year later, turned into, like, a really just an undecided, like, Marxist guy, like, really into Karl Marx, the dialectic and materialism and all that, uh, all that sort of, like, mode of analysis, and, and that really drove me, like, the whole time after that, a long road of, like, four years, getting to this new guy, just getting... So much more into philosophy than anything else and then having what i get from philosophy dictate my politics and not have some sort of dictating part of my philosophy is the thing all the while having that dictate my politics mm. so yeah i used to have the dialectic and materialism and Karl marx like create this kind of circular mode of logic now i don't have an ontology or any or anything like that anymore like my uh idea of being or becoming is not gonna be like dictatorial how i think this box of cigarettes really is actually in its relation to other things and yeah that's how flat and horizontal the world really is i guess i guess if you really want to be an asshole about it, one thing ain't more significant than the other because quantifying descriptive things is just uh, a little weird. Uh, it can be totally sterile a lot of the time. Definitely numbers are good for explaining like phenomena and sizes. But you know, I don't even know what I'm really getting at. 
I've just gotten to this really motherfucking heady philosophy that is like post-structuralist and post-humanist and post-Marxist, really? I guess you could say that. Mm. Still revolutionary in the sense that the philosophy itself seeks to change the world. Whereas Marx said philosophy is only sought to interpret the world. Well, now there's one that changes the world. And it is, uh, it started with Gilles Deleuze uh, from France. Super cool guy. And that's where I started my new podcast called Bird of the Duration. And it's just congelation of words he created. He uh, added to uh, philosophy's like critiquing ability and decided to throw in what he called like another half or just another facet where others might be added. He decided to add the creative aspect. And he's like, yeah, for like 500 years, y'all have just been critiquing yourselves and not like creating any of these new words like you used to, like the cogito and stuff. And like, I think therefore I am and all that concepts, like make them. And so I'm just going to do that now. Here is a, a literal new version of the dialectic I call the rhizome. Uh, oh, I'm still a materialist. Oh, and here's this whole new vein of psychiatry. Super sick. Can't get over it. Wrote a book based on it. Super fun. <laughs> yeah so what what happened like are you are you doing this podcast like weekly or just like whenever like what what happens on those episodes well the thing is uh jill loses uh influence his influence for his concept of time said uh throw away literally all your fucking clocks stop abiding by all this shit because time is more so an unfolding of new descriptors and signifiers and stuff and not this like counting of minutes and seconds and uh fuck where am i getting with that oh yeah so so i can be totally lazy about this podcast <laughs> yeah no <laughs> that, that's great um no yeah and what and that that book project was different than the one you mentioned you're working on right now nope completely the same okay um i'm trying to create um what they called a minor literature which has like a revolutionary kind of angle to it in the sense that it's new in its own genre has um a language that resembles the culture uh something that the culture could grab onto easily like you use words like hey chad face or like hey uh fucking i don't know using words where it's like i don't know it's like Swerve on out of here. I have never heard a single person say that. And it would sound super dorky if someone said it. Everyone would know what you mean, the thing, because you're using these signifiers that, uh, well, did not used to mean anything a couple years ago. And for some reason, that's super important to him. And it's super fucking fun. Um, there's like a third part of minor literature or something. Oh, yeah. Like a revolutionary aspect using new terms, uh, get a feel for the social con context, and I apply uh, the idea of the control society to it instead of the classic dystopian discipline society where it's like a, just a police state, a surveillance state. <clears throat> Whereas like, this is more of a, a state that modulates you instead of molds you like explicitly a lot of subtle aspects to it, lots of new technology that supposedly gives you a bunch of freedom. Uh, they can uh, totally use propaganda from that to act like they're giving you freedom when they're actually also handing you a shitload of surveillance. It's new and trying. They really don't want you to notice it. Uh, the fact that we now know that our phones track everywhere is uh, something we didn't find out for a while. And that's an aspect of the control society that he was talking about like 40 years ago. Mm. <clears throat> For some reason, someone hasn't written a fucking novel about it yet. So I am hopping on that shit, hopping on that shit so hard. Trying yeah, really no, hard I'm, to make it a good book. I'm constantly, I'm constantly freaked out by uh, the Amazon Alexa shit whenever I see it referred to. <laughs> Absolutely. So am I. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's like, 
it's just a fucking cool gadget too. It's not like it really gives you that much. Yeah, but no, you sacrifice the, a shitload. Yeah, and it's kind of just like they're they're telling you you're like you know corporations and everyone tells you that you're getting all these freedoms and stuff, and really it's just like a slight like a minor minor shortcut for what you were doing before, or just Dude, more yeah, consumer it's the choices. Next trick. Absolutely. Instead yeah. of one kind of news media, you have two, but it's in the form of like five. And I don't understand how people like really look at that stuff and is like liberal media, the one conservative media channel. And I don't know, blows me away. I seriously think people have uh, had their desires completely morphed to the point where they just desire their own oppression or repression, but that's just me, I guess. I seriously prefer not to be oppressed and just do what I would like to do. But uh, no, people really like to be confined for some reason. Wake up, sheeple. You're, you're watching this. You're listening to this. Y'all, y'all need to fucking... Hello? Is, is, your, is your government mind control machine on? Or, or... Hey, hey. <laughs> hey. Hey, Siri. Put your glasses on. <laughs> Amazing. No, but yeah, I absolutely don't blame fucking anybody for this shit. Like, capitalism has done so much more than even so many Marxists have thought to completely brainwash us. And that started with industrialization. And out of industrialization came the consolidation of our social life into the nuclear family. And when you're growing up in the nuclear family, your parents' like angst and fear rubs off on you during like certain developmental parts in your life. And then it literally edipalizes you in the sense where or it could and has historically. And yeah, guess what I'm getting at? There's a reason why Freud saw all of these kids literally just abiding by the edible complex. It's just there was always a group of kids that would never do that. And you see that in a lot of like autistic kids and people that turn out to have schizophrenia. And so it was a huge hole in psychiatry that needed to be figured out. And the thing is, it's just, yeah, it, the social relations, the socioeconomic relations really formed this whole complex that uh, can be broken down once you look at the perspectives of people that may not have the best perspective on things, but it is a new one nonetheless. Um, not making any blanket statements about autism or schizophrenia, mm. but uh, there is a weird, a weird kind of common symptoms where it's like, yeah, they will not conform to that kind of uh, what do you call it object of desire or theory of desire and so that has to be affirmed and accounted for and thus a new psychotherapy must be produced and uh, you walk away with it also saying that capitalism is much deeper of a fuck up than we thought and where revolutions used to happen it didn't happen because of that edipalization of a shitload of our population and got us in a mode of thinking that actually did uh, switch our desires around to uh, desire, uh, well, just being taken away from as far as like surplus value, as far as not going for what you want, because I mean, the edible complex says, you want to like bang your family, but then you just, you can't ever do that. That's your one desire, but you're not supposed to go for that desire. Henceforth, you're never supposed to do what you want. And that's just how it is. That's human nature. It's really not. There's no framework for humans. And that's why I'm a post-humanist, post-structuralist, all that shit. And that's why I prefer a theory of desire that is not towards a lack, but towards a 
really production, not in like the sense where it's just like, I'm making this at work, but in the sense that literally every motion and phenomena is production. And that's like super deep and fucking heady. But um, when you look at it from a mode of, when you look at it from a perspective of production instead of a lack, it goes from being an idealist kind of like framework for psychotherapy into a materialist one, which is one that makes philosophical sense. Yeah, this, once again, all the credit goes to these guys from like 50 years ago that went against all odds in the uh, psychological community. Joe Deleuze wasn't even a freaking psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Uh, his partner, uh, Felix Quattri, was, and they just decided that they were on some similar shit someday, and had people like Michel Foucault, just king of French philosophy at the time, being like, "This is absolutely insane." Finding out that, well, there's just a lot more stuff going on than we thought. And, I mean, people thought Michel Foucault had it in the bag. As far as an analysis of capitalism, they didn't think you could go as deep as Marx. But uh, he really went beyond it. It is uh, very impressive. It's just something I'm obsessed with lately. And yeah, so the story I have is basically just uh, depicting the U.S. the best I can with these like three characters the narrators and an ai robot that was programmed for cia to monitor this kid goliath and he literally just views him from this top-down perspective or you know kind of like a kind of behind him too i would imagine and he takes the whole world from like an anthropological atic perspective where it's like Let's say I like went to Afghanistan and tried to just live there and understand the culture. He has like no fucking idea what goes on on planet Earth. And so he walks away from like really obvious things. Being like, oh, Goliath's mom is dead. And his dad has like heart problems. And they have this they have this place called a kitchen. Oh, the dad drinks out of this like bottle that it, with brown liquid. You can like see through it. And he like smashes this glass on the floor every night. Gets really mad after he drinks it. And there's this thing they call they watch called E News every day. They leave it on at night because their mom mom used to watch it before she died. And yeah, it's kind of just some like, ha ha, he's a robot. But um, he actually ends up being super useful to Goliath in the sense that he kind of keeps being the narrator, but also becomes the protagonist at some point. I'm going to figure that one out. I think he might just have some sort of tele telepathy kind of interface that he programs himself because the CIA accidentally programmed him too much, a little bit too much. And he's just like conscious out of nowhere, feels stuff. <clears throat> he can really only see this one guy. I'm thinking, yeah, I know the end. I can't give it away before I just like finish the whole story. Yeah, but basically, he... sorry, gives him a lot of ideas for like action and stuff. Uh, the minor literature thing is one where he's like able to really show the contradictions of capitalism, Oedipus and stuff like that, how day-to-day -day life is, a lot of parts of it are actually completely unbearable, but we deal with it all the time. And uh, we actually, we actually give our organs away for capitalism all the time and stuff like this, because we see desire as a lack. We want this stuff. I just, I like cigarettes, sorry. It just ended up that way. And 
you know, now I'm addicted to them. But for me, I wanted a cigarette because I lacked this feeling that I really wanted when uh, it was just a Band-Aid, not going to make me feel any better. And it really only helps the guy that's uh, running the business that is Marlboro. Not really me. It's maybe made me look cooler twice. Couldn't tell it, you which uh, time. It does look cool. I will admit that. I mean, on the Shuttlecock podcast, I'm glad it's a first. It, yes. I'm glad I could be the first. <laughs> should should any are are should any publishers listening to this reach out to you? Do you do you, what, what's what's it like on that front? Do you think you're gonna like self publish or? Um, last time I tried publishing a book, I hit up zero books, who's a like, critical theory, so like totally my vein of, well, book writing, publishing, and I think the thing is they only publish nonfiction. I hit them up anyway the other day. I was like, I know you only take unfinished manuscripts. I, I, I know you only take finished manuscripts, sorry, and that you, I know you only take nonfiction we should look at this because you're releasing all of these Jill to lose books right now. And I think you'd be the only publisher that's interested in it. Mm-hmm. So here's literally just this slop. that is my first draft. It's like 30 pages or something. It's not even fucking close to done. I have so much dialogue to do. I have some very graphic scenes that display these people's alienation all lined up and everything, all this very good uh, old dialogue and series of events, uh, complete humiliation, complete just discarding of identity for the sake of money. Like literally people in this book become not recognizable because they want money so bad just to live and yeah they're willing to give up almost every part of themselves so the thing is goliath some point in the book decides like that is absolutely ridiculous that people are doing that and he's not gonna submit to well the demands that are everyday life do you come with everyday life do you do you read a lot of uh sci-fi because it sounds like it has like some sci-fi elements going on for sure it's supposed to be um, almost completely on par with our technological uh, state of things. Okay. Because yeah, yeah, the only thing that would be AI. sci-fi would be the, would be the AI. Mm. Yeah. Word. And that would just be from, for the perspective's sake, I guess. Oh. Or it'd just be like tabula rasa, blank slate. Maybe you can get something from this if it's just building all of this information from the start, you're reading it as, as an adult, and you're not actually just some kid. The robot's doing it for you, so yeah. Word. But the robot also has this crazy processing power where access to every information, which includes the cool philosophy I'm into. What do you know? <laughs> and he teaches the good word. Oh yeah. Well, I think that's all I wanted to get to. Um. So people should definitely order the Loss Prevention Shoot to Kill 7-inch from 11 p.m. Records. Wonderful label. We love them. They're on, oh, they're on Bandcamp, and, or they can hit up members of the band, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yep. 913-904-8774. Call me. <laughs> uh, I have no idea if I have physical copies. Uh still call me though i don't care yeah you just feel like chatting with you know just see what's up oh yeah <laughs> whoever the hell amazing uh what wait where can people find uh your podcasts and anything else you want to plug um <clears throat> i gotta say i did a pretty good job of that podcast e-bombs world revolution it's on youtube picture my profile picture probably can't see it it's so small but me and my two friends tommy and jude very naked in the picture probably can't see anything worth saying yeah 
No, and um, to, to be clear, it is E-B-O-M-B-S, E-Bombs World mm-hmm. Revolution. Yeah. Much and then uh, my Instagram is, uh, what the hell is my Instagram? Oh, yeah, it's Big Mac for Sex right now. <laughs> and my podcast on that is uh, Word of the Duration. I only have two videos on that. You know, it's coming sooner or later. You have In the a duration. They're like a IGTV videos. Yeah. Word. Uh, but yeah, people can follow at Shuttlecock Mag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The website is shuttlecockmusic.com. Uh, the web store is shuttlecockmag.bigcartel.com. We have t-shirts, photo zines, buttons. Um, trying to think if there's anything else i don't think there is but thank you for being on the show today this was fun i and i appreciate you being being down last minute absolutely thank you very much i appreciate it long time coming straight up or have a good one aaron you too wait do you hang up first um i'm gonna stop the recording and then